Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Jeremiah chapter 5. Have you ever watched the film series, Hunting Hitler? Hunting Hitler. Okay, it's fascinating. I've read books about this, and uh, the series is fascinating. There's at least three seasons. I think there's a fourth as well. The premise of the show is to discern if Hitler escaped Germany, having a body double killed, imitating that he was uh, committing suicide. Did Hitler live in Argentina or some other South American nation under the cover of the jungle following World War II? That's the premise of the show. Did he escape? And they find what they call rat lines, which would be ways that he could have escaped the country and traversed from one continent to another. And it's really a fascinating film series. From their webpage, these investigators who travel the globe... Uh, say, say this, now three years into the investigation, it's been more than that by now, the greatest cold case in history, 21-year CIA veteran Bob Baer looks for solving the final piece of the puzzle to determine the true fate of the most rehem, uh, reprehensible mass murderer of the 20th century, Adolf Hitler. Um, and so Bob Baer's on there, a man named Tim Kennedy, I like Tim Kennedy, He's the muscle of the show whenever they go into dangerous areas. And people are still really <clears throat> kind of uh, uptight when they go to some of these other places about talking about Hitler. They found his, uh, his children and things like this as well. Uh, Tim Kennedy will dr uh, dive. He'll, he'll do recon stuff. He'll go to places that's all closed off. It's really fascinating to watch. And they're all trying to search for a man. Can we discover, can we find a man? Where did Hitler go? And, you know, they're, they're like in the middle of a jungle in the middle of nowhere, and, and there's uh, acid reflux medicine, they, and, you know, here's Adolf Hitler. He had a lot of problems with his, with his stomach, and they're like, oh, this is evidence. You know, it's really fascinating to watch. But they're trying to find a man. In our passage, God says, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and search for a man. If you could find one man... I will spare Jerusalem of the impending destruction that's about to take place. If you could just find one man, it's what God says in the verses that we're about to read. So here we are, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. So this is much, uh, it seems like a frantic search. There's an imperative here. Go find him. And see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man. Just a singular man. Can you find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. I will pardon Jerusalem. If you can find someone who judges righteously, he's executing judgment, and he's seeking the truth. If you could just find one person that could do that. Verse 2. And though they say... 
The Lord liveth. And that's a great creed. That's a great statement of faith. Though they say the Lord liveth, surely they will swear, they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? So we go from God telling him to go, verse 1 and 2. Now, uh, Jeremiah is speaking, and he says in verse 3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken, that means struck them, but they have not grieved, they have no feeling. Though thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They don't care about the discipline of God. And they have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. They would not return, which means to repent. They would not repent and turn back to God. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. So Jeremiah says, well, the poor don't know about God, but let me go to the the powerful, verse 5. And I will get me to the great men. That means the powerful, the influential men. And will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord. They have known God. A lot of the kings knew the Lord. A lot of the priests, a lot of the civic leaders knew the Lord. They have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. They had discarded the truth they at once knew. Now, if you're into different animals and wildlife, you'll like the next verse. Wherefore, a lion out of the forest shall slay them. Well, it's not a happy verse, but there's animals in it. (laughs) A lion is going to slay them. A wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces. And here's the because. Here's the reason why. Their transgressions are many. Their backslidings are increased. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, all has to do with... They forsook the Lord and tried to replace him. And he echoes that once again in these verses. Their backslidings. How shall I pardon thee for this, the Lord says? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. They were as fed horses. In the morning. They didn't even have to go forwards throughout the day. God fed them in the morning. They were already full every morning, but not content because everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Isn't that a a, a graphic description? They're neighing after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things? That has to do with his judgment, saith the Lord. And shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but... But make not a full end. It means not total destruction. We covered that last week in chapter 4. There was going to be destruction, but life would continue. Total destruction, but not a complete end of their time. Take away her battlements that has to do with the fortresses, for they are not the Lord's. Whatever defenses they set up are not going to work, God says. Uh, Go to the streets of Jerusalem. Imagine with me those streets in verse 1. They're rather narrow streets. There's a lot of business happening in the streets. There will be a cart or two uh, moving down through the streets. But small corridors where craftsmen and merchants would have their shops and buying and selling of goods. And here's a food market over here. And go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. And you can go through to, to those streets today. And they are rather narrow streets even today. And, uh, and go run around all through Jerusalem and see if you could find just one. A singular person, a one man, 
that judges righteously, that executeth the judgment, and that really knows the way of the Lord. It's a frantic search, but there's none to be found. God is searching for faithful men. God is searching for faithful men. Uh, the question that God poses to Jeremiah and his challenge to go find one man sounds a lot like Ezekiel. Ezekiel had a similar challenge in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I sought for a man among them that, I should, uh, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should destroy it not. But God said, I found none. That was before Jeremiah, there was none. 100 years before, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Isaiah answered that call uh, to answer to be the man for God and, and for the Lord. So God's consistently, even throughout Scripture, even from the very first man, who went and hid, and who did God go looking for in the Garden of Eden? Adam. <laughs> God's always searching for a man, and he's looking for a man here in this passage. Now, there would be Josiah, the good king. He was alive when Jeremiah was told this. Baruch is one of the scribes, and Zephaniah also was alive at the time, one of the minor prophets. So there were other people that knew the Lord, but as a collective whole in Jerusalem, other than those, I don't know of any other, that would say, I know Jehovah God and have committed my life to following him. Other than that, God says, see if you can find one man. Find one who loves me, and I will spare Jerusalem. Now, our human nature can take pride in things that do not matter. I'm sure there was a lot of guys like this. And in Psalm chapter 74, verse 5, a man was famous according as he lifted up axes upon the thick trees. Have you ever watched those guys in the axe cutting, uh, axe uh, contest, you know, log chopping contest? That's, that's exciting stuff. We, get, we want to be famous sometimes about things that do not matter. We want to be successful about things that doesn't really matter in the whole scheme of things. Have you ever been there? Like, oh, you know, I'll make a reputation for this. I'll be known for that. We do that. You know, who can throw a ball? Who can put it through the hoop? Who, who gets this or that award? Things like this. Sometimes we strive to be famous for things that do not matter. I'm sure that in Jerusalem, there were guys who were just so distracted by all the stuff and things and opportunities that they said, well, we're just going to forsake God and replace him with our other false idols, our other busyness, the other things that we're doing. Everyone needs a pat on the back sometimes, but we can take pride in the wrong things or the neutral things and things that take us away from God. 1,500 years before Jeremiah, God gave Abraham an answer, an answer to prayer on behalf of his nephew Lot. How many righteous are in Sodom? Okay, the Lord comes to Abraham. He says... Sodom is condemned, their choices, their sin, their iniquity is terrible, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, condemn them. And what's going to happen here? Uh, well, if there's 50 people, if there's, and, and God is, uh, is responding to Abraham, if there's 50 people, Lord, would you spare them? If there's 50, and God said, sure, if there's 50, and Abraham thought about it for a little bit, well, maybe 40. What about 40? Lord, would you spare them for 45, rather? He went to 45. And then he thought a little bit more. Wait a minute. I don't know if there's 45. Maybe there's 40. Lord, would you spare for 40? And then he goes, he goes by multiples of 10 then. Lord, if there's 30, would you spare uh, the city of Sodom? I mean, my, 
my uh, nephew's in there after all, his family. How about 20? Lord, would you spare for, for 20 people that are there? 20 righteous people. Yeah, I'll spare for 20 righteous people. And Abraham got to thinking about it some more. I really don't know between Lot and his family if there's even 10. Lord, would you spare for 10? And God said, I'll spare for 10. And you know who got out of, who got out of uh, Sodom just in time? Is Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And there was four. And, and you could be questionable about his wife as well because she turned back and her heart was still there. Looking for a man. Someone who loves the Lord. Ten righteous. Well, he couldn't find it. To Jeremiah, God says, Find one righteous man in Jerusalem, and I will spare Jerusalem of destruction. Now, some said to Jeremiah when he went through the streets, some said to Jeremiah, The Lord liveth. He knew it. The Lord liveth. I mean, that's a great statement. I love that statement. It's a great Christian statement of faith, even though it's in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew statement because of the anticipation that God is alive, being in the form of Christ, of course. And our God in heaven is alive. But they were swearing falsely, according to verse 2. And this is not a judicial oath, but rather a profession of the worship of Jehovah God was insincere. It wasn't sincere. The Reformation under Josiah, that had been in full swing, but merely it was merely superficial. And that was the case with the majority. It was kind of like a convenient or a, a popular thing. I'm just going to say the, the Lord liveth, and, and people will know I love God. But it wasn't true in their hearts. The poor did not know the Lord. The great, the powerful, and prosper did not know the Lord. Uh, men knew of the Lord, but they did not really know him. One of these verses indicate how that God had prospered them and blessed them. Prosperity is a gift of God designed to lead men to him, but it often produces the opposite effect. Look at all that we have. I mean, we're fed in the morning. We don't have to wait and work all day. We have enough food. We have the city around us. We have this protection and provision of the Lord. We have a, a bounty here. And is that true for where we live in our world today? There's so much. We're so blessed. And sometimes that prosperity has the opposite effect of drawing us closer to God. Every time God gifts you or blesses you or provides for you, should draw you closer to God and not further away from God. So recognize God's provision in your life. Some of these guys, the powerful and those, those who had uh, prosperity, they broke the yoke. They burst the bonds. And uh, our relationship with God was not supposed to be hard work. Being bonded with God, glued to God, that doesn't seem like a negative thing. But they said, oh, we don't want to live like this. We're going to follow after our own selfishness. Being bonded to God and being yoked up with God, kind of like the oxen side by side, yoked up, uh, working together with the Lord. Uh, to them, that got in the way of their selfishness. And so they were abandoning that. The poor were unfaithful. The powerful were unfaithful. The children forsook the Lord and were unfaithful. The women were unfaithful and the men were unfaithful. So, friends, God is looking for faithful men. And there are three elements that I'll share with you and I'll speak to myself just as much. Three elements of faithfulness. The first is this. It's found in verse 2 that we should have a faith that is real. A faith that is, is real. Notice about these guys. Though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. 
they're swearing falsely. It wasn't legit in their life. If we want a faith that's real, in verse 2, we need to believe the right thing. Believe the right thing. And they're, they're, they are declaring faith in the right thing, but apparently it wasn't true in their heart. But believing the right thing. Men that not only profess, but possess the truth, the Lord liveth. The Lord liveth. What a beautiful, prophetic, poetic even, hopeful phrase. David had the same faith in the living God. In Psalm 18, verse 46, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock. He knew his God was alive, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. In Jeremiah 23, 7, therefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth. Wait a minute. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah that there'll be a day in Jerusalem that they're not even going to fake it anymore. They're not going to say the Lord liveth, but not really believe it. They're not even going to say it at all. So they go from uh, acting like they have faith to almost um, an agnostic or um, atheistic, no faith, no God idea. Okay, that's how he'll say, he said, there's going to be a day. They don't even say the Lord liveth, the God who brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, ultimately, this speaks of Christ. Now, Job believed this. Job believed that God was alive. I know, he said, my Redeemer liveth. I mean, that was 3,500 years before Jesus came onto this planet. And he knew God was alive. And this speaks of Christ. Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. He's alive, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And so what a great statement of faith. But to have faith, we have to believe the thing. Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And he's alive today. If you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, trust in him today. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And the dead Jesus who died in our place is the living Jesus today. And he ascended into heaven, and that's where he's at. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we place our faith our trust, our complete dependence, not in religion, not in good works, not in being a nice guy or a nice girl. Uh, It's just in I'm trusting Christ alone. He finished everything on the cross when he paid the price for us and then he rose again. And so we express faith to God and we believe the gospel for ourselves. If you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, believe in the gospel, you can do that today. Now, let's continue on. So believe the right thing and then do the right thing. In verse 1, he's looking for a man. Can you find a man that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Someone to do the right thing. Men executing judgment, this has to do with acting justly. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. He's talking about God. God is always just. And we're following that example. God wants men who would do the right thing, acting justly. Uh, This is a judicial term, a courtroom type term. Now, we need God's help in this. We don't always see clearly, think clearly, but God always does. And so we're following his example on this, to do the right thing, to to do the best thing for the other person. That would be justice, Uh, making that judgment call and doing the right thing towards that person. Legendary Alabama football coach Bear Bryant said this. He said, I'm just a plow hand from Arkansas, but I've learned how to hold a team together. 
how to lift some men up, how to calm others down, until finally they've got one heartbeat together as a team. He said, there's just three things I'd ever say to my team. He said, if anything goes bad, I did it. He took the blame. If anything goes semi-good, then we did it. We're all together on this. If anything goes really good, he said, I told them, you did it. That's really good. That's really smart. That's, that's, that's a good judgment. That's a good judgment that he has. Uh, encouraging others. Doing the right things toward others. So believe the right things. Do the right thing towards others then. And then look for the right things. Look in verse 1. He says, someone that's seeking the truth. Can you find somebody that is seeking the truth? This would be men who are attempting to do the right thing. Because they're looking for the right thing. They are attempting to be faithful. Believing the right thing, doing the right things, then are informed by what the man is looking at. And he must be looking at the right thing or his faith will be affected adversely. It have a negative uh, outcome then. So men, look for truth every day. Look for truth every day. Be faithful to what is true. There's a lot of lies, there's a lot of errors, but be faithful to what is true. The weeping prophet, he knew this. The weeping prophet Jeremiah knew this when he wrote, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my cities. He saw the impending destruction, and that's in Lamentations. After he saw uh, the people carried away, he saw their sons, uh, these, these mothers with their sons being carried away uh, or, or executed in battle and their families all torn apart. He saw the destruction and problems because they had forsook the Lord. He said, my eye affect my heart. He started to cry. It's lamentations, lamenting, crying. The weeping prophet is Jeremiah. That brings us to the next point then, feeling. We need faith that is, is real, but we need faith with feeling. Notice verse 3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken or struck them, that they have, but they have not grieved. That has to do with no feeling. Instead of being sorry for their sin, instead of having some emotion and uh, a heavy heart or concern about their sin and their wrong, when God chastened them, when he corrected them, it was like water on a duck's back. It didn't matter. They didn't care. They had no emotion. Read the rest of the verse. But they refused. He said, you consumed them, but they refused. It's like it didn't matter uh, to receive uh, correction. They refused to receive correction, but they have made their faces harder than a rock. I mean, have you seen anything harder than a rock? Their faces were harder than a rock. Rocks are pretty hard. Their, their faces are harder than a rock. They have refused to repent. They refused to return to come back to God. So we need some faith with feeling. Faith with feeling. Uh, these men are a lot like the alcoholic who in his drunkenness doesn't feel anything. This is what Proverbs says. In Proverbs 23, 35, speaking about the dangers of alcohol, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. The phrase, I felt it not, is the same word as they have not grieved. They didn't have any emotion. They had no feeling. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't respond to what God was doing. They were numb to it. It was like this drunk guy. You could beat him up. He's like, oh, what happened to me? I don't know what happened to me. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. Same thing. God's coming. Judgment's coming. 
the Babylonians are going to destroy everyone, maim and kill everyone, carry you away. What's happening? I don't know what's happening. And God's chasing me. I, they didn't feel it. They had no feeling. Faith needs some feeling with it. Have there been times in your life where you don't have much feeling? Now, sometimes there's triggers to that. There's things that precipitate that. Uh, maybe some trauma, post-military, uh, PTSD, dramatic uh, things that happen in our lives. And to get through those moments, we harden ourselves. Okay, there's, there's a natural reason why some of these things happen. And uh, there's hardening factors. There could be a whole host of other things, an assault, an attack, something that took place, and you kind of harden yourself emotionally. Have you ever been there where you're hardened emotionally? Maybe God's trying to show you something, but you're hardened towards that because you're just, you're just kind of hard. Okay, I've been there before. There's been stretches in my life where I'm just kind of hard, uh, relationally and emotionally. And uh, that's not good. <clears throat> Sometimes we get into a groove. We get into a coasting mindset. We glide. We have such a routine that we don't think, and we kind of harden then. You know, someone challenges us, or someone talks to us, or something takes us off guard. <clears throat> That's not the healthiest place to be, especially in our relationships. So Jeremiah is, is explaining something to us. We don't want to be hard like a rock. Our faces should not be hard like a rock. Uh, remember the Darling Boys on the Andy Griffith Show? <clears throat> I love these guys. Now, they were a folk um, band. They could play those instruments and sing really well. But their part on this show was to be expressionless. And I just, I crack up every time I see them just laughing because Andy's talking to him And like, what do you think about that, boys? You know, they have this dumb face, and they don't say anything. They don't hardly even look around. They're expressionless. All right, this is not how we're to be in a relationship to God. This is not how we're to be in relationship to one another. They had no feeling when God was correcting their sin, they had no feeling towards it. They had no grief, no concern, but friends, we should have some grief about our sin. We should have some concern about our sin. Anytime we trespass God's law, anytime we step over the line and, and sin against the Lord, uh, that should grieve us. We can have some healthy emotion about that, and that would be a, a good thing. But notice their list of transgressions. In verse 7, they had transgressions of backsliding that they should have been repenting of, and a godly sorrow could work repentance. The men of their society had lined up outside of harlots' houses, and they could have repented of the, those sexual sins. Our most common equivalent today for this would be men lining up uh, websites with immoral pornography. So it would be the essential equivalent there. They were neighing. It's, it's kind of a humorous picture to me, you know, guys neighing. But these guys are neighing after other men's wives because of coveting. And instead of, of coveting, they should have been uh, terrible, feeling terrible about that and confess that as sin to the Lord and repent of it in verse 8. And I find it interesting, God had provided so much bounty. They were like horses who were already fed to the full, like everything was already provided. They had everything that they needed, but they were not content, and they were still neighing after their neighbor's wife, not content. And God was going to avenge. 
All right, here's another factor. They should have been feeling really bad about this. God said, I'm going to have vengeance about this. But there was no feeling still in their heart. Vengeance means punishment inflicted in return for an injury or offense suffered. Retribution is how it's defined. They had a lot to be emotional about, but they were not. Uh, Charles Swindoll wrote this. He said, authentic men aren't afraid to show affection, release their feelings, hug their children, cry when they are sad, admit it when they're wrong, and ask for help when they need it. It's a true statement. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Jeremiah went to the great men, but they had a false faith or a fake faith. These others, they all had no emotion for either right or wrong. The Apostle Paul knew people like this. He said it would be like that in the last days, and they are in our last days that we're living. 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Very much similar to that hard face that, uh, that God is telling Jeremiah about. Emotions are God-given, and emotions can and should be spirit-controlled. And I'm speaking to myself just as much to all the men and everyone here today. When I was young, I learned by observation and environment that anger was acceptable for boys and men, but sadness and tears was not. Okay, I'll give you a few examples for this. A batter strikes out, he gets mad. The other team scores a goal against your team, and you're on that team, and you get mad about it. You know, it's, and it's like motivation to go out there and to smash those guys. So you score the goal instead of them score the goal. <laughs> I knew a, a, a major league uh, prospect pitcher. He threw in the 90s. He was on our team. And after a bad inning, someone hit a home run off of him. When he started 90, all, all they have to do is stick the bat out <laughs> and hope it bounces off. And that's what happened. The guy just hit it, hit it out. He came in after that inning, and he smashed his fist into the wall and broke his hand, okay? No more major league prospect. I mean, it's hard to throw a ball with your hands all smashed to pieces. If he came in crying, that would have been unacceptable, but his anger was like, oh, yeah, man, go get him next time. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? This is how our society is. Now, when I'm coaching sports teams for youth today, we go to the other extreme in some ways because as soon as the guy strikes out, the fire hydrant of their eyes just unleashes I mean, and it's like total, I don't understand that because of the way and the experience that I've had. You know, you get angry about it and get better and, and go out and practice and fix that, you know, for next time. That's how, how I saw and experienced. So we have a society of, of really ups and downs, I mean, extremes, a society of extremes. Could there be a better balance? <laughs> Anger! Tears, and those probably aren't even the opposite um, emotion, but, you know, just figure out what emotions that we need to have in the right time. Is there a time for anger? Yes, the Bible tells us. Is there a time for tears? Yes. Emotions can be spirit-controlled or God-controlled. Jeremiah, men, he's an example because he's known as the weeping prophet. He is crying. He has tears for his people. Lamentations, my eye runneth down with rivers of water. Kind of like the fire hydrant at the uh, Little League field. Rivers of water for the destruction 
of the daughter of my people. How can we have proper emotions? So this would be another message for another day, but basically the answer is how can we have proper emotions? It is to be spiritually minded. Romans 8 talk all about this. Romans 8 verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. How do you get the right balance of emotions? <clears throat> be spiritually minded. Be spiritually minded. That'll help you with that. In a film, we feel the scary music. We hear that makes us feel um, an emotional connection. Something bad is about to happen. We hear music in the background in a film, and it's elative and exciting, and something joyful is about to happen. Or maybe the music turns to be intense, and, and it's intense music, and we know this is how the emo it affects our emotion. Motion, even if it's music, motion affects our emotion. Now, this works well in our Christian life. When we have motion towards God, I'm reading the Bible or I'm praying or I'm helping out at church and I'm participating and, and doing some spiritual things, uh, that also will cause our motion to go towards God. So I'm doing some motion, but it will, it'll, it'll capture our emotion, just like the music in a film does, towards God. <clears throat> On the same side of that coin, then, is if I'm doing things that, that would be unfaithful, or have nothing to do with God, or are against God, that's going to cause my emotion, if my emotion is against the Lord, it's going to cause my emotion, my love and affection towards God to diminish. It works both ways. So that's why it's important to be careful of what you look at, and what you hear, and what you're doing. So faith that is real, faith that is, uh, has some feeling with it, and number three, faith that's willing to change. Faith that's willing to change for good. Verse 3 tells us, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. To receive the correction, refusing to return, that indicates change. There was positive change that these guys should have made. Turn back to God. Have a soft face towards the Lord. Have some emotion. Have some change in your life. Sometimes we resist change, but change is good. Uh, Romans uh, 12 speaks about change and how we're to be conformed, changing into the image of Christ. One father or one son wrote to his father, said, Dear Daddy, when, I am a, when I'm a great big man like you, I want to do just like you do. I was going to be going just where you go. I want to know all that you know. I just a growing awful big and walking in the tracks you dig. I think it won't be very long. I is growing fast and getting strong. And soon I'll go to town with you and be your partner all day through. And just a little great, I'm just a little great big man and getting fast, uh, just like you, as fast as I can. Dear son, the father replied, I'm glad you want to be like me. Yet I must change some things I see. If you will do just what I do and follow me the whole length through, then I will pray for strength and power to walk the Christ life every hour and leave tracks all along the way which lead to joy and endless day. Uh, I like those responding poems. These men refused to return, to repent, to turn around, to do right. They refused the way of the Lord. They refused the judgment of God. Now, uh, parenting, there's four parenting 
outcomes. Natalie and I have been reading this book by Emerson Agarich, and he wrote about these four parenting outcomes. And on my computer screen, it didn't get all goofy like that. But here's, here's what the outcomes are. Bad parents, here's the possible outcomes. Bad parents would equate to bad kids. Good parents can also have bad kids. Bad parents could see some good kids, and good parents could see some good kids. Even God and Adam and Eve, when you think about their relationship, it didn't turn out all that good with the perfect father, in fact. And so no matter how or where you think that you are, even in the same family, some turn out and some don't to love the Lord. Every parent should seek to make the biblical life changes needed to give the kids the best opportunity to grow up in that garden of their home, to grow up, to know the Lord, to find a life that's dedicated to him. Give your kids the best chance at knowing Jesus and, and knowing how to be a faithful disciple, a follower of Jesus. Knowing all the while, parents, you got to know all the while, ultimately it's their choice. You do the best you can to cultivate that garden, but it's them who will grow in that garden as they seek and choose to follow God. Ultimately, our kids will choose three things, or three options, rather, to either adopt the faith that we're passing on to them, to adapt the faith that we're transmitting to them, with a variation maybe, but within Christianity, still loving the Lord, they're adapting it, or just flat out abandon it. That's really the only options there are. I'm going to adopt it. Here's my faith. I have the same faith with my family. And I'm choosing that. It's not just a one-time choice. It's daily. We keep choosing that. Or I'm going to adapt it. I'll make a few changes as I still see it in the scripture. It's still there. I'm going to follow it or abandon it. I choose to follow Christ. I hope that's the goal for every young person here. I choose to continue to walk with Christ whether I adopt wholeheartedly or adapt the faith that's been given to me. At some point, our kids' faith have to become their faith. They got to believe it. They have to trust the Lord themselves. You can't control it. You can control how you respond and how you live. So I encourage you, friends, repent when wrong, confess with humility, ask forgiveness often, forgive the faults in others, and choose to love in spite of the problems. And these are things that we're learning. These are things that I'm learning. These are things that all of us need in our lives. And so be willing to change for the good. The search continues. God is still looking. Not in Jerusalem, but right here, right here in our homes, in our families, in this church, and in our community and nation. God is still searching. He's looking for faithful men with faith that is real, with faith that has some feeling, and faith that is willing to change for good. A remarkable story. Dr. Wilbur Chapman was the preacher of yesteryear. He gave this testimony. He was preaching from town to town. He went to this one town, and he said, I... I uh, I got off at the, a man came up to him and gave his testimony. He said, I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp. For a year, I begged on the streets for a living. One day, I touched a man on the shoulder and said, Mister, please give me a dime. And as that man turned around, he said, as soon as I saw his face, I recognized my father. Father. 
Don't you know me, I asked, throwing his arms around me. The father cried, I have found you. I have found you. All that I have is yours. I've been looking for you for 18 years. And I finally found you. He said, I'm not going to give you a dime. Everything that I have belongs to you. God's looking for a man. Let him find you today. Don't go hiding. Don't run away from Christ today. Believe the gospel for yourself. You can have God the Father as your Father in heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's take a moment and bow together for prayer. Our questions are on the screen. You're welcome to look at those. Maybe your faith needs revival. Maybe a friend today says, my faith needs revival. My faith is not always real. I want to believe the right things, to do the right things, and to look at the right things. I want my faith to be real. God has challenged my heart about this. That's my prayer. Lord, help my faith to be, re- be real. Send a revival in my soul today. Anybody like that? Just raise your hand. You see some discrepancies there. All right. God bless you. How about this next question then? My faith needs some feeling. I don't have much emotion sometimes. But I see that I need to respond better to God's leading. And if I would have some feeling and to be sad about my sin or to have a fire to do what is right, Lord, help me to have some feeling and emotion to better respond to God's leading. Anybody like that? God's challenged me to have some emotion. Proper, properly gauged uh, emotion. All right, thank you. How about this then? I'm willing to change. God, I'm willing to change. Please show me what to change in my life. Show me what to change. Hands are already going up. Are there others? Yes, God bless you. Thank you. And then maybe there's a friend that wants to trust Jesus for salvation. If you've never believed the gospel, you've never prayed, expressing faith, in Jesus as the resurrected Son of God, please talk to me following the service. Is there anyone today that wants to know more about salvation? Nobody's looking at this moment. I'd like to know. I want to pray with you and talk to you following the service. Anybody like that? I want to know more about salvation and how I can have forgiveness of sins. Anybody like that? Just raise your hand quickly. Anybody at all? All right. If you have a doubt, a hesitation about salvation, please, let's talk. Know God the Father through Jesus Christ today. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this Father's Day that you are our perfect God, our perfect Father. We thank you for this challenge to Jeremiah that we can learn from as he searched for men who knew you. Not just claimed they knew you, but really knew you and lived the Christian life. That's what we desire. Let us identify areas of change, Lord. Let us see Areas that we should have some feeling and uh, remorse and confession and and different emotions that could uh, draw us closer to you. Lord, thank you for all that you've taught us here today. We pray for a special day for all the fathers here this morning. Uh, Thank you for meeting with us on this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. Happy Father's Day. We do have a nice, it's kind of like a wood-like pen, wood-like pen in the lobby. So uh, men, go get that and have a great rest of the day. God bless.